to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, bringing you a FFPC Playoff Challenge recap episode. Today, before I get into that, I want to note that this podcast is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. If you head over to Underdog Fantasy, use promo code ETR. They will match your initial deposit up to $100. That's for new customers for Underdog Fantasy. They've got their Battle Royale contest going on now, so you can play you know, kind of a DFS-style snake draft throughout the playoffs, and they also have their rest of playoffs best ball contests going. But I'm going to talk today about my favorite of the playoff fantasy football contest, the FFPC playoff challenge. Had Jack Miller on last week to discuss it a little bit. And this podcast is probably a little bit more for a niche audience, honestly. Um, just, just personally want to go through some thoughts that I had seeing the ownership there and then making a ton of teams, which I do with the ship chasing guys, Ben Gretsch, Peter Overset, and Pat Corain. Ho- hoping some of that Pat Corain underdog fantasy uh, $2 million run good can, can spread over to our FFPC portfolio. But for those of you who aren't familiar with the FFPC playoff contest, it is a very complex game that is seemingly simple. The actual lineups are, are extremely simple, um, but, but what you need to win is a little bit more convoluted than it seems. You have 12 roster spots, one quarterback, two running back, two wide receiver, one tight end, four flex, a kicker, a defense. And then you'll have two spots where you're not playing anybody from because um, there's 14 playoff teams and only 12 actual spots. FFPC has tight end premium scoring. That means it's full PPR for running backs and wide receivers, but one and a half points per reception for tight ends and quarterbacks it's pretty standard scoring except they get a little boost because it's one point per 20 yards instead of one point per 25 yards and uh, it seems really simple but where it gets convoluted is the what you need to be optimal you know you need to think through the bracket you need to usually make sure that you don't have teams playing against each other that you faded completely in the first round because one of the skill players is going to advance from those teams. It's confusing in terms of like your quarterback versus wide receiver. Like you could have the highest scoring wide receiver. It could be Stefan Diggs. Bills go to the playoffs. He's the highest scoring wide receiver. But Josh Allen outscores Stefan Diggs by more than Patrick Mahomes outscores Travis Kelsey. And it turns out you actually need Allen and Kelsey and not Patrick Mahomes and Stefan Diggs. So there's some wrinkles there. But um, let's start with the most important thing as far as why I think there's huge edge in this contest is it's a really top heavy prize pool, $500,000 majority of the prize pool is going to first place and people are not treating this like, you know, they're not playing this like a DFS GPP. They're playing it more like a cash game. And we see that in a few ways. One, there's overconfidence in the bracket. And I've got up right now, the ownership percentages from this contest, which uh, Fantasy Mojo was nice enough to put together and make publicly available for free. You can find it on his site, fantasymojo.com. And when I say overconfidence in the bracket, if you look at the ownerships on Seattle, for example, DK Metcalf comes in at like 4% ownership, sub 4%. Tyler Lockett was pretty close at 6%. And Kenneth Walker on Seattle was extremely low owned as well. He was 4%. So you're talking three guys that are the core pieces of an offense that come in at a combined 12%, 12-13% ownership and the vast majority of the field just sees that big spread against San Francisco. They assume Seattle's going to lose and as a result they underplay the skill players in that game. Now Seattle does lose, 
But DK Metcalf has one of the most important performances of round one. He puts up 35.3 fantasy points per game. It's a huge score in a couple of ways. Just in, in raw total, that's a really big score to have on your roster. It's I don't know where it was either one or two among skill players for round one. I think Dalton Schultz might nab them or got him pretty close. But the other reason is he outscored his teammates by so much, and that's like a locked-in edge. So he outscores Kenneth Walker by 21 points. Um, so that's 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 a huge edge there. He outscores the kicker by 28 points. That's a huge edge because there could be other kickers that scored less than Jason Myers who, for Seattle. But like if you had, for example, Ryan Suckup, as bad as it seems to take a Ryan Suckup zero, the gap between Ryan Suckup and Chris Godwin is actually smaller than the gap between Jason Myers, who scored like an okay kicker score, and DK Metcalf. You'd be much better off having Suckup and Metcalf than you would be having Myers and Chris Godwin. So uh, that overconfidence in the bracket, even when the team loses, uh, people are underplaying the losing team. And there's some scenarios where what if there was an upset? We were close to some upsets. Miami was legitimately close to beating Buffalo. Tyreek Hill comes into this contest um, as one of the you know highest upside players in the entire contest. He's only 15% owned. And we see... J.K. Dobbins comes in at one and a half percent. Mark Andrews, nine percent. Baltimore, I mean, they don't botch that QB sneak. I think they win that game against Cincinnati. And even if their performances aren't huge, now you've got a player that much of the field doesn't have who's playing an extra game. Meanwhile, the field is locked into uh, a player on a losing team that they just assumed would win. Um, So there's tons of examples of this. You see it with the Chargers. Jacksonville game, people played that as if it was like a 75% chance um, Chargers were going to win that game. You know, Austin Eckler is 70% owned in a coin flip game. Meanwhile, we see a ton of ownership from Jacksonville fades. And when I say fades, that means we're not taking a player from that team or we're taking a kicker or defense from that team. So hard fade would mean you're not taking any Jacksonville player. Soft fade would mean you're taking the kicker or the defense. And we see Riley Patterson. 10%, 10%, one of the higher owned kickers. The Jacksonville defense, 20.5%. And, um, you know, that that's huge. And then a lot of people just didn't play Jacksonville player. So you get the overconfidence in the bracket. And on that Jacksonville defense note, I'll bring my next point. There's an edge in misunderstanding the DST kicker variance. You know, we see, again, just look at the Jacksonville stuff. Riley Patterson teams are dead because they win. Jacksonville defense teams are dead because they win. But even if you remove that, the Chargers side of things, you got a combined 4% ownership on Cameron Dicker, who's one of the two highest scoring kickers and locked in on a losing team and LAC defense, 2%. Why? You know, so you, you see the same thing in the Miami Buffalo game where people just full faded Miami. They did the hard fade instead of the soft fade. And the combination of Miami defense and Miami kicker, 5%. And really the nut combination right now is some pairing of Miami soft fade with Charger soft fade. And you see perhaps the most egregious example of this, Justin Tucker comes in at 43% owned. So this this is absolutely wild to me. And the Tucker teams, honestly, they get away with it in some sense because no Baltimore skill, like J.K. Dobbins was the best Baltimore skill player. He wasn't super highly owned. The team lost. So five points from Tucker, even though it's not great, like the field really gets away with this one. But that's 
you know, that's utterly absurd. So definitely misunderstanding of the DST kicker variance. Uh, we see overconfidence in when you're into a player's into a team's core players, there's an absolute overconfidence in the top player there. Um, I can go through so many examples and this year played out a little less chalky than last year. So these examples seem so obvious in hindsight, but you know, uh, I'll talk about our portfolio that we did with ship chasing. We made 75 teams, which is most people aren't doing that. Most people are doing a few entries, one entry, very few people are doing even more than 10 teams. So we're, we're rare, but I'll kind of point out how we took advantage of that. But the examples, you know, Justin Jefferson comes in at 77%. Teammates, Dalvin Cook comes in at 5%, TJ Hawkinson, 13%. So Hawkinson over Jefferson, not only are you picking up a huge amount of points on the Jefferson teams, there's only, you know, if we look at the total amount, this isn't a huge, huge contest either. You're not going to have to be perfect to win Hawkinson. There's only a thousand Hawkinson teams. So you've got a thousand Hawkinson teams to compete with, and you've just really killed 6,000 Jefferson teams. Uh, the, the examples are endless here. Jamar Chase comes in at 66% for Cincinnati. Mixon and T Higgins are each about 10%. You know, Jamar Chase is the best of the options, but those guys are really high ceiling, good options as well. We go to Jacksonville, Travis Etienne, 33%. That's higher than Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, and Zay Jones combined. And all three of those pass catchers really smashed Etienne in, in round one. Etienne has a chance to get it back in round two, but, uh, and one team that hasn't played yet. You saw it with the Eagles. A.J. Brown's 53%. People really played Eagles wide receivers. Devonta was 18%. I think those two should be more like a 60-40 gap, maybe 65-35, but 53 to 18 is too wide. And then you look at quarterback. I mean, both wide receivers outpace Hurts, who's one of the most fantasy-friendly quarterbacks out there. And Dallas Goddard in tight end premium scoring only 6.5% owned. So, uh, Field is definitely overconfident in player A over player B, just like you're overconfident in the bracket that's going to play out. Then what the field does sometimes, and I didn't see as much of it this year, but sometimes the field gets too cute. Like they won't play T Higgins over Jamar Chase when that's not very improbable and you could pick up a ton of points on that, but they will play, you know, a Tyler Boyd or some of these fringe wide receivers that just don't have a, there's, I guess the way to put it is there's so many spots for smart leverage, basically in that overconfidence section I just did with players who are really strong fantasy players in their own right. They're just second or third best on their team that you don't have to all of a sudden jump from like, well, I'm going to play all chalk and then I'm going to play one insane play that's really unlikely to pay off. And if it does pay off, it's not going to pay off in a big way. A final thing, and I, I hit on this on the top, I didn't word it really well, but you don't want to fade players from the same opening round game. So I saw a lot of teams that had really high scores going into Monday night, and they were kind of drawing dead to win this tournament because they had Dallas defense and Ryan suck up. And there are some scenarios where you get a really weird kicker defense score. And then all the skill players think in round two where you could survive that. But, you know, I, I did some projections based on the current results with what we're projecting at ETR for the rest of the contest. And, uh, you know, no, no one with double soft fades in the same game really have, have too much of a chance, but yeah, now back to kind of like my personal approach to this, 
and the team approach we took with me. Uh, Drew Dinkmar was in on this as well, but he's so busy with the NBA that um, he kind of gives us his, his hot takes, helps us manage some exposures. And then it's me, Ben Gretsch, Peter Overset, and Pat Crane, those guys of ship chasing. Like I said, we make 75 teams and it's pretty nuts. It's it's hard to make 75 teams, even just from a logistical standpoint. Like it's not, it's tedious to enter those teams on FFPC. It's difficult to make sure that you're not duplicating teams and it's difficult to make sure you're getting the exposures you want. So it's pretty nuts. We start at the beginning of the week and we kind of simulate different brackets and, and what the exposures for players are within those brackets, kind of get an idea of like, how much players should be owned, where's our best game theory standpoint, and everybody kind of has a role. It's, it's almost like we turn into a mini organization for a week and a half, and uh, it's it's insane. I'm a nut job, too, as far as sweating it. It's crazy. You spend all this time making all these lineups, and then you know the first game of this slate, DK Metcalf goes off, and it's like, where's our DK Metcalf teams? Because all of a sudden, there's a pretty narrow path to victory. So it's, it, it is crazy, and we know our median outcome in this is that we're going to lose like 60 to 75% of our entry fees because it's so top heavy and we're playing this with a more contrarian style because again, we're taking advantage of the things I noted, which I think makes this really high EV, but it, it certainly makes the variance pretty high, but it is fun knowing that like, there's not really too many people out doing what we're doing. Uh, unlike in DFS, you know, everyone's MME and whatnot. Not too many people are doing that here, but yeah, our big positions were underweight, all the main guys, basically. You know, we didn't really go much higher than 60% on anybody. I think Kelsey's the only one we really got pretty high on and came close to matching the field. Uh, and even on the guys we did play close to, like we were way underweight on Justin Jefferson, and we were overweight on DK Met. We have 18% DK Metcalf. Uh, he was 3.8%. So there were some stuff in good positions. We don't have any combinations, unfortunately that are the nuts, but even when playing chalk, we kind of tried to think it through intelligently. So we did still play a lot of Saquon and a lot of Justin Jefferson, but we didn't play those guys together as much as you would expect based on randomness. We tried to decorrelate those for a situation that played out the giants win, Justin Jefferson fails in a loss and the Saquon teams look pretty good. Could have happened the other way around as well. And we also did that with Josh Allen teams where we tried to have more Jared a higher percentage of our Jarek McKinnon teams with Josh Allen. And the idea with that is we knew Allen would be extremely chalky. He was, he was 50% owned and the Allen Kelsey combo in particular would be extremely, extremely chalky. So that was one way to give us an out to still play Allen, who was most likely to be the optimal quarterback in this thing and still get a little bit of leverage on the field. And our biggest sweat right now, I'll pull it up is our, our 35th team here. It's Josh Allen, Barkley, McKinnon, Godwin, Chase, Goddard, CMC, Justin Jefferson, Evan Ingram, Dalton Schultz, Jason Myers, Chargers defense. This is a team where it's very painful that we don't have, again, overconfidence with the bracket. Like if we play this as a Giants win, maybe we have Metcalf over Jefferson and we just full fade Minnesota, which even, or, or if we had Hawkinson over Jefferson, this was one of our few entries where we did double up on Saquon Jefferson. Um, but, you know, when you're making teams this contest and such a limited player pool, almost every team out there is going to be like, oh, we were a 2v2 away from the nuts. So I don't want to get caught up on that too much. It does show you, though, where if we went chalk with our remaining players and had A.J. Brown in this contest and Travis Kelsey, we're, we're dead. 
you know, we can't make up the points that we need to make up. Um, but we have an 11% Evan Ingram, a 6% Dalton Schultz, a 6% Dallas Goddard, a really low owned McKinnon, especially with those combinations that we're actually live, you know, kind of want to figure it out. We need Evan Ingram, Dallas Goddard, and Jarek McKinnon, that trio to outscore the trio of Christian Kirk. And I pulled up this team on the right side, Barji nine. So this is someone that probably made multiple entries. They're currently in seventh. I have them as the, the most likely team to win the tournament. So comparing to that team, they have Christian Kirk, Travis Kelsey, and um, AJ Brown. So they, they kind of have the chalk um, of the remaining players. And they're in really good position because they basically do have they went with this soft fade on Minnesota, which was huge. And as a result, they have Metcalf in over Jefferson versus us. So it's a big hole for us to climb out of, but we have that opportunity. So we make up 14 points on those three guys with our three guys, uh, particularly Jarek McKinnon. We have a lot of, a lot of really good Jarek McKinnon teams. So we're still live. That's what we're going to need to hopefully bring this down. I did take, if anyone's interested, I have a, a spreadsheet looking at, um, what we project based on the ETR projections. And if you're curious, we have uh, ETR projections for the rest of the contest up on establishedtherun.com. This is something you can use. I'm going to do another podcast on the FFPC Playoff Challenge 2, which is a fresh contest with a 100K grand prize. And you can definitely check these out. But um, using the FFPC rest of playoff rankings, yeah, I've got that Barji 9 team as the best team by about like 10 points. So pretty clearly ahead of, of everybody else. I do want to shout out Chess Liam, who took down the underdog best ball mania last year. He also took down a couple of DraftKings best ball tournaments this season. And he's got a bunch of teams that look pretty good. In fact, um, I have us as the highest projected McKinnon team. I have him with the second highest projected McKinnon team. Um yeah, we're we're I have us projected 37th on our McKinnon Goddard team that has a ton of leverage. That's the highest McKinnon team, but he's got another McKinnon team where you know he did the soft fade on Minnesota. He's got the Jags pass catcher as leverage on the Jacksonville stuff. Um, he did play Eckler, but he's got Dalton Schultz in that one. He's a little more chalky. So um, but again, he's the McKinnon stuff. He's got a McKinnon Christian Kirk combo. We've got a McKinnon-Evan Ingram combo. Things can happen. But he's also got our seventh projected best team and our 10th projected best team, 23rd projected best team right now. So I think he did 25 entries, he said. And yeah, he he really nailed it. He's got a lot of stuff up there. It looks like he went pretty in on the Justin Jefferson fade, which again, Justin Jefferson was outrageously owned in a game that had a three-point spread. So I just absolutely love doing this contest each year. Um, Hopefully I didn't bore you nerding out over this contest and where we, why I think there's an edge and kind of the reason why we have so much fun, but really hoping Jarek can, uh, Jarek and Goddard can pull it off for us, give us a chance. And again, like that team too is probably dead if I have one of the chalk defenses, but we have chargers defense, which gives us a little bit of life because it outscored, you know, like the chalk Baltimore defense by like six, it just makes it a little bit more possible or uh, some of these unlikely things that we need to happen to give us a chance to win first prize. As I noted, I'm going to have, I'm recording back-to-back -back episodes. This is the first of two FFPC episodes. The second one is going to be a look 
directly at what you can do in the FFPC Playoff Challenge 2, starting with the divisional round for your chance to win 100K. So make sure you check that out. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, subscribe. It helps a ton. Same thing if you're listening on iTunes, leave a review and rate us. It really helps me to continue to do these episodes for free. Thanks so much, everybody. Best of luck, rest of the playoffs. Thank you.